find that if you focus on an area and even so with the sympathy, the menu is quite broad, but it is traditionally British food. So it, it is our focus. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff, and today I have a guest that's going to be such a, a joy for me, and I'm sure for you as well, for a lot of reasons. Before I get into my own excitement, let me just introduce my guest. My guest today is Molly Carew, who is the general manager of Tea and Sympathy, Tea and Sympathy Carryout and Assault and Battery at 108 Greenwich Avenue, York, and, and the carryouts at 110 Greenwich Avenue. We've got so much to discuss, but first off, I just want to say, Molly, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. No worries. So the reason that I'm excited, among many reasons, is this is sort of a walk down memory lane for me because Tea and Sympathy opened in 1991, very close to where we used to be located at Woolco. And I have a, a very cool story to share. But before I get into that, for our audience that's not familiar with Tea and Sympathy, could you just tell us a little bit about what Tea and Sympathy is and how you got involved with them? So, Team Sympathy has been here on Greenwich Avenue for uh, just gone 31 years. Mickey Perry, our wonderful owner here, opened up Team Sympathy on December 23rd, 1990, because she couldn't find a good proper cup of tea in the city. And that pretty much stemmed from there. So, we bake all of our cakes fresh on the premises every day. I think we're most sort of sought after for our afternoon tea, which comes on the three-tiered stands. Everything is very categorically British here, even though I am not. Um, I'm what they call a token convict, being Australian. But we've been here a very long time now. Not much of the menu has changed. Our tea selections haven't really changed in that time. Nothing is not consistent. And yeah. What's so cool for me is for many years, we had an employee at Woolco named Tim Hassel, who was um, a great world-class runner, actually, and a, and a wonderful person, worked for us for many, many years, and he was English, wound up staying in America by an odd twist of fate. But I remember every once in a while, he would bring back some treats to the office that were traditionally British. And it was always a, a great treat and a great surprise because in 1991, I had not actually been to London yet. I subsequently have been a few times and have, uh, have great memories of it. Now, when you opened up and then this is sort of going back to the history, but I think it's important because one, 31 years is phenomenal. And two, Tea and Sympathy, it really is a niche in the sense that, as you say on your, your website, it's British comfort food. When the idea came to Mickey, was the location in Greenwich Village something that was there by design or did it just sort of happen by chance because it was where she was living? Was there any sort of design or intention in having the store open in the West Village, or was that just one circumstance that was unrelated to the concept of Tea and Sympathy? From my memory, there was actually a clock store in the location at 108 Greenwich that she was just obsessed with, and she thought that it would just be a nice quaint little space for a restaurant, and so she did have her eye on the space specifically to put her little tea shop in, for quite a while and then it came up for rent and she was able to jump on it and 
so great. It's such a great institution in the West Village. I've had on a few other prior guests, Bon Senior and Art mm-hmm. Bar and core components of the West Village neighborhood. Would you say that a lot of your clients are people who love the ability to have sort of an authentic taste from home, if you will, and they're, they're English? Or do you feel that a lot of your clientele are people that have been introduced to some of these comfort foods that they may not have been aware of? What would you say the breakdown is of people that that frequent tea and sympathy and, and your restaurant, Assault and Battery? I'd say that maybe 20% of our tables are only American and the rest are made up of there'll be one British or Irish or Commonwealth sitting there and explaining the menu to the rest of the table or explaining what their favorite things are. So it's like a place that you can bring someone if you're living here, if you're traveling here or meeting up with people here and be like, this is what it's like where I'm from or like this is what I used to make or like I had this cake when I had my third birthday party or something like that. And it gives people an opportunity to sort of share what is part of their family tradition or which Americans loving Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and things are very love a good tradition, Americans, and that's something that we do too. But more of our tradition is making sure you have a good proper cup of tea every day, at least one. Absolutely. I think that being in New York, there are a lot of expats here and a lot of people that have maybe worked abroad in the UK or they've married someone that's from abroad and so they come here on their anniversaries and things like that. We've had over 30 staff members over the years actually meet their significant other here in the restaurant, many of whom actually got married in the restaurant as well. For people to come and meet and share and make memories. And I feel very fortunate to be part of something, an institution like that. I I think one of the things that's interesting that I'd sort of love to get your thoughts on is I remember I, I moved back to New York from Chicago in 1992 and uh, mm-hmm. lived in the West Village. Even though our Woolco was on Gansevoort Street, I lived on Horatio Street for many not years. Far, not a far walk. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it was an easy commute. And there, commute, you know, yeah. the, the West Village was such a, a great neighborhood back then. And I'm so happy to see that so many of the places that I used to frequent or used to walk past are still there. Do you feel that the change that's occurred, you know, and, and all neighborhoods are always changing in New York, but do you feel that the clientele that you're getting at Tea and Sympathy are people that really go there because it's a destination spot and they know that they're going to have an opportunity to get cuisine and tea and other things that they can't get anywhere? Or do you think that there's been any change in terms of the people in the neighborhood perhaps coming in more frequently? Have you noticed any of those dynamics over your your time as general manager? I think that um, the hospital, I think it was St. Luke, oh, it St. Luke that was around the corner. When that closed, I know that we, I wasn't working here then, but Nikki and Sean did experience a huge loss of foot traffic because there was some 5,000 employees in and out of that building every single day or 5,000 people in and out of the building every day. So that obviously being between different train subway lines and things, like you've got less people walking along the street. We also saw a change when Google, the Google building that's over on 9th Avenue and 16th Street, they actually implemented a catering facility within their building so we had less and less people coming from that sort of area to come in for lunch or grab a sandwich on the go or just put phone in an order and pick up their hot pie for for their afternoon or things like that particularly since i've been working here i definitely noticed when city island opened up particularly in the warmer months 
we did have a lot more people come through and say, oh, yeah, we were here, we've got tickets to go to this park today, but we saw on the map that it's close by, and so we've come here for lunch, or well, we're picking up to go so we can go and eat it at the new park that's floating on the river. And I think that small attractions like that that are more close by to us have definitely increased the foot traffic in the area because I think with so many closures of businesses, particularly before COVID due to exorbitant rent prices, real estate tax costs, and just general inability to maintain overheads with costs of food going up, which is just an inevitability. But so many small businesses, because you're not buying in bulk as much, I think that they sort of lost that momentum to sort of make changes five years ago to benefit you five years ahead of time, if that makes sense. But we were very fortunate that during the, the changes before COVID, we were, we were able to work with some of our amazing landlords to figure out and coordinate things that would work a little bit better for us and them as our business partners, essentially, owning the buildings. And all of the changes that the city faces pretty consistently, we are seeing more businesses come into the neighbourhood and open up. And that's really exciting to see because the more that's open around us, the better it is for us. There is no real competition. If you're doing well, we're doing well. If we're doing well, you're doing well, sort of thing. That's kind of what I was thinking, because when I lived in the West Village, it was only a tourist destination to the extent that people wanted to see the West Village and its historical significance. But over the Mm -hmm. last several years, you have the Whitney, which used to be a meatpacking facility. You have the High Line. You have the Museum of Illusions. And I think what you said, Molly, is such a great point, which is that there's no competition to what you're doing. So the more foot traffic or people who come to the area, the better it is. And Gansevoort Street itself and that whole area has been transformed into something quite different than what it was. So that's very cool. I know you have a lot of product and even packaged goods that are unique to traditional British cuisine. Do you do a lot of shipping locally or even nationally? of any of your items, notwithstanding the food? So our shop, which is at 110 Granite Avenue, which is next to Tea and Sympathy, is called Carry On Tea and Sympathy, and it's actually a British grocery store. And we ship all of the items available in the store through our website. We have nationwide shipping available, so we actually were able to pivot our business a little bit when we did close the restaurant for those first few months of COVID, which was a blessing to us to be able to maintain some stock turnover, especially with some of the other importers and things as well, as they were really feeling lockdown with COVID affecting not just America, but the world. So we absolutely do a lot of shipping nationwide, um, particularly around Christmas. Our Easter eggs are set to come in next month for Easter, which will be very exciting. We don't have any American chocolates or tea or anything in our shop. It's all imported through England and Ireland. We do local deliveries. If you aren't inside our delivery radius, just give us a call and we'll try and coordinate the delivery for you. Yeah, we Very do all cool. our deliveries in-house. Our boys are amazing. We have had staff here that have worked in the shop come up 20 years. Our head chef has been here over 30 years. It's certainly a unique uh, space to be a part of, that's for sure. When I was in London, I had a friend whose family lived in St. Johnswood, but we went to the countryside in Canterbury, and I had fish and chips there, and it was the most delicious fish and chips I'd ever had, and it was <laughs> unlike anything I'd had in America. So my question is, with assault and battery, do you find people coming in and saying, wow, this is incredible? Because a lot of restaurants will have 
that on the menu, particularly if it's a bar or something like that. But there's something about the traditional British way of doing it that is unique. At least that was my experience as an American. Do you find that when people come into assault and battery or is it just that a lot of people who are coming in are, as you said, 80% British and they know what they're looking for. So it has to really reflect what they've remembered, so to speak. Every now and then we'll get someone in that's like, oh, in my in my part of town, this is how we do it. But I see how you you guys do it a little bit more like London or like we have curry sauce, which is a very Irish dish to serve with your fish and chips or battered sausage. I'd say that we've been very consistent with our products over the last 21 or so, 22 years coming up. I think the consistency that you know you're going to get good fish and chips is one of the only places where it's, that's all we serve what we focus on, we maintain the quality and the the integrity of the dish. Because sometimes you go to these pubs and there's like, you can get like 25 different things on their menu. And it's like, hang on, how, how are they doing all of this well? I find that if you focus on an area, and even so with the intensity, the menu is quite broad, but it is traditionally British food. So it, it is our focus. It's not, you can't come in and get some noodle dish and then pasta and then a curry and then fish and chips as well. It is much more specific to to the cuisine and to the tradition of English food, which is comfort food and fish and chips is again comfort food, great for a hangover. Recommend getting an orange glucosade if you if you're <laughs> feeling that after the holidays. But yeah, Sean will attest to when we we've been getting these suggestions and I've been thinking about opening a fish and chip shop and he and Nikki were sitting there one day and she goes, Oh right, well what would we call he was like, Yeah, but what will we call it? And she comes out with assault and battery. And he's like, oh, damn, now we have to do it. <laughs> I know, it's a great name. Um, it, it, yeah, it is. It certainly runs off the tongue quite well. But when Sean and Nicky did open Chippy, he was actually FedExing back and forth Edward Piper potatoes and different types of potatoes that are traditionally used in English fish and chip shops. He was actually having them tested to see their water contents and their, their cook rate and everything like that so that we could try and actually create the most traditional form of fish and chips here in the US which if anyone's ever travelled anywhere or you're from somewhere else if you go to the south you get really good southern food but then you come up here and it's like oh it's a bit different, it's this, it's that and that's the same with our products it's fairly consistent to the best of our ability to maintain the accuracy of the product. What I was thinking also because just listening to what you're saying which is true, we have a lot of listeners that are not from the New York City area. And one of the things about New York City, which is very cool, is you do have a lot of different restaurants that cover pretty much all different types of cuisine. That being said, however, it's very difficult to find, for example, we're talking about fish and chips here. There's tons of mm -hmm. places who serve them. There's probably yeah. nowhere in New York City that serves them the way that you guys do, which would be the same experience one might get in Canterbury in, in England. And I think that that's what's so cool because out of 100 French restaurants, let's just use that in New York City, maybe mm -hmm. only five of them are what would be something that if you were in Marseille or Paris mm -hmm. or somewhere you would get. So let me ask you this question, and I don't think it's a I don't think it's fair having spent a decent amount of time in England. I, there's a lot of great stuff that I like to eat. British cuisine yeah. doesn't get the same level of notoriety as, say, French or Italian. What would you say is one item that's a traditional British item that when somebody who 
is not from England comes in and tries like, wow, I didn't even know this existed or I didn't even you know, know that this would be so great. That really makes people a fan of English cuisine or, or something that they try that they're like, wow, this is awesome and something I'd never experienced before. So I think the most common item from our menu that just comes to mind right off the bat is our scones. So Americans also have scones. It's a sweet dish or you can make them savory as well. But we serve just classic traditional green tea scones with clotted cream and jam. You can choose raspberry or strawberry jam in the restaurant. We occasionally have Nikki's homemade marmalade as well, which is delicious to add into the mix. But scones typically in America are quite large. They're full of butter. Ours are not. The way that we traditionally bake scones is with cream. It's a very simple recipe. We actually sell our scone mix now through the shop so that people can make them at home, which is fantastic. During that lockdown, we were able to, we had regulars going, oh, I'm just craving scones. I just desperately want scones. It was like, well, you can have them at home. All you need to do is add heavy cream. And so we had all these photos of locals and regulars from all over the country baking our scones at home with their families and that was a lovely thing to see and it was very heartwarming that we were able to sort of be in someone else's kitchen for a, a moment during this time that was particularly trying on everybody emotionally, physically, financially. But yeah, the one thing that people come in, they're like, your scones are just incredible and it's the same every single time. And it's like, yep, you don't mess with the recipe that's, that's good every time. You don't need to add anything. You don't need to take anything away. It's just a consistent, delicious treat. And then in terms of savory items, I'd say people come in and they, they go, what are mushy peas in a salt and battery? And mushy peas typically take over 24 hours to make and are a made from a dried pea. And you can look up the recipe online, but ours is a little bit different, obviously. And not that give it away. But mushy peas are definitely something that Americans are like, oh, that sounds terrible. But then they have it and they're like, oh, wow, okay, this might be my new favorite or Bangers and Mash, we um, have a wonderful relationship with a local butcher shop called Myers of Keswick on Hudson Street, where we get our English and Irish sausages from, which we use in our Bangers and Mash in the restaurant, which is beautiful creamy mashed potatoes, gravy or Heinz baked beans. You can choose however you'd like to have it served. And it's typically something that people are like, what do you mean Bangers and Mash? And we're like, oh, it's a sausage. And they're like, oh, okay, hang on. Is it like this? It's like, why don't you get it and have a go? See, see what you think. <laughs> Very cool. You know, for, for for people that are listening to this, one of the cool and I think significant lessons or something I'm really sort of keying on as I'm listening to you is that the tea and sympathy concept is entirely predicated on two things. One, consistency and authenticity, and two, staying true to the core mission. I think a lot of times people who start any business, but particularly a business in the hospitality space and in New York City, people get tempted into thinking that because everything's always changing and it's so fast paced and that there's so many distractions that people almost feel this compulsion to change for the sake of change. And in certain circumstances, and certainly in the case of tea and sympathy, that's not a good decision. Staying true, staying constant, staying focused enables the success for over 30 years. Are there ever any temptations to do any type of an innovation or has the decision been made, look, this is what our brand is, this is what we do, and we're going to stay true to it because we know that there are people who are looking for this 
and we don't need to change it? Or sometimes you feel like, you know, we do want to throw in this little tweak on a traditional recipe. How do you balance those two forces if you feel like you have to balance them at all? That would come down to our lovely owner, Nikki, and her wonderful husband, Sean. Nikki is an incredible cook, always has been. When she first opened the restaurant, she was doing it all. She was running the dining room. She was cooking in the kitchen. And our kitchen, if, if you have ever been by, we are about 380 square feet, including the kitchen and the bathroom, is the whole restaurant. It's a very small space. So way back in the early 90s, she would cook a lot of dishes at home and then bring the big pots in, lugs them down the street from her apartment around the corner because there just simply wasn't enough space in there to actually prepare all of the food at the same time consistently. So she would work overnight and get it all made up and bring it all in. And I think everything, every single recipe at Tea and Sympathy has come out of either Nikki's brain or her, her, her family recipes or recommended recipes from family friends. And there's definitely been changes to the menu over the years, just with economies of scale changing. So our, our fish pie for a period of time was extremely expensive to make because the quantities in order to make the fish pie that we needed being just one menu item, it was going to be far too costly for us to continuously keep it on the menu just due to the price of fish um, that goes in the pie, which is salmon and cod and can be various other white fishes as well. But now we're able to, we've got a little bit more momentum with our restaurant since um, the pandemic has sort of slowed down. Now we're experiencing Omicron, so it's a little bit different, but we have it back on the menu regularly. So I think that the main changes that do happen with our menu is is availability of items. We have a fairly consistent amount of menu items that are available just all the time and always have been. But the one thing over the last few years that has changed is, are we actually able to feasibly take the labor, the time, the effort, the cost, and do this dish uh, well, or is it we don't want to cheapen the item, so it's, and we don't want to make the item, the, the menu items, exorbitantly expensive or or inaccessible in a way. So we would rather choose not to do it at all and it not be available, or then to have something that's not good enough for the standard that we like to maintain. I love that because when you have a brand that's as powerful and as established as as yours at Tea and Sympathy, it gives you the ability, not just the ability to make decisions like that, which is phenomenal, but it, it actually frames the way you even think about issues. And I think that's something that people should really take heed of. Whenever you add something to a menu, whatever you decide to do with your business, you have to look at it from every angle. You can have the most amazing concept in your mind, and everybody might love that concept. But if you can't execute on it at a quality level that you're happy with or at a price point level that you're happy with, it's not going to be a good fit. And and I think people need to remember that as they're designing things that they want to put on their menus because it has to be thought all the way through. Molly, this has been an absolute pleasure for me listening to you. And what I would say is for those people who live in New York City, the West Village has so much great stuff going on right now. We'd already mentioned the Whitney, the Museum of Illusions, the beautiful West Side Highway. I remember it was very different in the 90s, and it was great then too when I would go running on it, but now it's just a great family spot. But if you've never been to Tea and Sympathy you really must go. It's it's not just a, a New York tradition, but it I would say it, it, it transcends New York. Get an opportunity to step back into England for a moment and have something that's that's really special. Yeah, please come in. Come in and say hi. Mention the podcast and 
we'll give you a good cup of tea and have a have a chat. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyone that's looking to learn more, please check out tandsympathy.com mm-hmm. or you can check them out on Instagram at tandsympathy and NYC. And Molly, this was a, a real pleasure. I really thank you for taking the time and I've enjoyed listening to to you explain everything. Have a wonderful day. Really appreciate it. You as well. Thank My you pleasure. so much, Steven. Thank you, Molly. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net. <laughs>